Today I start a new series of messages about the promises of God. In the Bible, there are thousands of promises made by God. You know, we all make and receive promises, but the only being capable of keeping every promise is God. So we're going to think carefully about seven of the promises of God in this seven-week series. And what we hope is that the promises of God will help you see your problems as a part of the process God is using to transform you into the person He wants you to become. So as I've said, there are thousands of promises, but there are some big promises, sometimes called covenants, made by God that gradually reveal who God is and what He will do. These big promises are made to humankind through Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham, Moses, David, and the church. So in this series, we're going to look at each of these starting at the beginning with God's promise to humanity. Here's what I know about your life right now. You're faced with a new set of problems, most of which are not a result of your choice. But maybe some of you are facing some problems that are a result of your own choices. We feel the pain of the problems that exist more than any other time in our lives. Sure, there are moments where we're all aware of the good in our lives and we ought to focus on those, but the real effect of the majority is that we secretly wonder, God, are you still here? When I was writing this sermon, it was raining outside and it reminded me of life just after Hurricane Harvey. Maybe you remember it. If you were in Houston, you know that the deluge of rain caused a huge mess for thousands of people. Well, immediately after the storm, I led teams from several churches to help with cleanup. And I'll never forget the looks on people's faces when we would show up on their block to lend a helping hand. There they stood in a water-soaked house, unsure of what to do next. More than once, as we got to share the love of God, the homeowner would admit, I did not know if God still cared. You know, God does his best work by showing up in the worst of circumstances. This is the promise I want you to hear today. I want you to hear God saying, I am with you. The first time we see God show up in a difficult situation is at the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. The promise made to Adam is a covenant. It's found in a slightly cryptic sounding verse, verse 15 of chapter 3. Here's what it says. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He, the child that comes from the woman, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now this one verse is a part of a larger section where God announces a curse on the serpent and the ground while pronouncing judgment on humanity. I've already said that God does his best work by showing up in the worst of circumstances. And we read that in the midst of judgment, God promises mercy. Now, to appreciate this merciful promise in this moment in the Garden of Eden, you have to understand how horrible the situation was in which God made this promise. There's no real reason for God to make any promise to those living in this moment in history. But God steps into this situation that is far worse than what you and I are experiencing now, and he makes a promise to all of humanity. We're going to read a bit more of Genesis chapter 3, but to fully appreciate the ugliness of Genesis chapter 3, you must see a glimpse of the beauty of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So the Bible starts out by describing what first existed. The earth was formless and empty. The darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. God is standing before a blank canvas about to create something beautiful. 
And in just six days, God gives form and function to that which was formless and empty. Now, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are not meant to tell us everything about creation, but it is meant to describe that God, by his mighty, mighty power, speaks into existence all of creation. This includes the first man and woman whom he describes as very good. So God creates humans and he tells them to start populating the earth, which sounds like fun, and then he assigns them the task of ruling over creation. There was only one prohibition, and that was that they must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they disobeyed God. Look at chapter 3. And I'm going to read out of the message version. The serpent was clever, more clever than any wild animal God had made. He spoke to the woman. Do I understand that God told you not to eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, not at all. We can eat from the trees in the garden. It's only about the tree in the middle of the garden that God said, don't eat from it. Don't even touch it or you'll die. The serpent told the woman, you won't die. God knows that the moment you eat from that tree, you'll see what's really going on. You'll be just like God, knowing everything ranging all the way from good to evil. When the woman saw that the tree looked good eating and realized what she would get out of it, she'd know everything. She took and ate the fruit and then gave some to her husband and he ate it. Immediately the two of them did see what was really going on. They saw themselves as naked. They sewed fig leaves together as makeshift clothes for themselves. Listen carefully. God establishes boundaries for a reason. In transgressing these boundaries is called sin. The first sinners were given clear boundaries and rather than obey God, they attempted to take the place of God, ushering in a brokenness we all experience today. This is a mess. When we transgress the boundaries God establishes, we create a mess for ourselves and for others. This is the first of two dark moments in human history. The second one is the night Jesus was crucified. On both nights, God makes a choice. Will he leave humans alone in the mess that they have made? Or will he show up with mercy in the mess? If you were God, what would you do? Would you walk away? Would you leave the humans to deal with their mess alone? You want to be God? Go for it, you might say. See how that works out for you. I'm reminded of a story I heard about a man's life. Uh, in July, I went and spoke at a memorial. It was a memorial that was held in Oklahoma, which is where I grew up. And the man who had died had a great impact on people like me. His funeral was packed with people that he mentored over the years. And some of these people were peers that I had in school 20 years ago. One of them was a friend of mine who told me of his story about how God showed up mercifully in his darkest hour. So after high school, rather than going to college and starting a career, he chose instead to pursue the fleeting pleasures of excessive drinking and drugs. As a young person, he walked closely with God, but as an adult, he chose instead to chase the world, chase the best the world has to offer. He ended up broke without any real relationships. Well, one night after a long day of drinking, he lay drunk half clothed in the living room of a stranger, finally disgusted with the mess he'd created for himself. By God's mercy, he remembered the story of Adam and Eve and in their darkest hour, how God showed up to promise salvation from the mess they created. 
He had an authentic encounter with God and he cried out for help. You see, God shows up in the mess to whisper, I am still here. I wonder how many of you have felt alone in the mess recently. Maybe your aloneness is because the virus has disrupted your personal work life. Maybe you're facing a new set of problems financially or relationally with all that's going on. Or maybe your aloneness is a result of your choice to sin against God in an attempt to comfort yourself or to take the place of God in your own life. It might feel like God is distant or your problem is unsolvable, but look at what God does in the hour that seems the messiest. He shows up. In the hour that's least likely for God to work, God works. He enters into our mess and he makes a promise of salvation. To Adam and Eve, he shows up in the garden and he says these words, where are you? Several things happen here, but I want you to notice that God is still here. He has not left. He is very present in this time of trouble. This is the promise that God will save us from sin through a savior. We see it here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He does not ignore how terrible their choices have made things. In fact, God curses the serpent in the ground and he pronounces the consequences of the human's choice to choose the lies of Satan over the truth of God. The man's work will never bear the fruit it should. The woman's children will always be a source of pain. But in the midst of that judgment on humanity, God makes a promise to be with them through all of it. This is the promise of God. He does this by pronouncing judgment on the serpent. That's where we find verse 15. And I will cause hostility between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, the Savior, will strike your head, the serpent, the evil one, and you will strike his heel. The image here is the woman will have one child who will crush the head of the serpent. It's a personification of evil, this serpent is. This is a foreshadowing of the birth of Jesus who will conquer Satan. In this dark hour, God promises to be with humankind through a savior. And the promise that God will be with his people is repeated throughout the Bible. This ought to encourage you. To Noah, who knew of God's plans to flood the earth, talked about in Genesis chapter six, God says, I am still with you. To Abraham, who feared the journey ahead in Genesis 15, God says, I am with you. To Moses, who had to face a powerful dictator, God says, I am with you. To Israel, whose own choices led to exile, God says, I am still here. And to the same people who long for a savior, God says, I am with you. And through their faith, God's promises, their faith in God's promises, they're given access to God's presence. And the same is true for you and I. We can boldly enter into God's presence through the fulfillment of this promise to humanity, listen, in the person and the work of Jesus the Messiah. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 tells us that we have confidence to enter into God's presence or to accept the promise that God's with us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. To every person in all of history who knows there's more to this life than living and dying and just trying to make it through another day, God says, I am with you. But you must acknowledge his presence in faith, that his spirit is with you through the work of Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, the Bible says. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. And then Romans 5, 17, 
For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who will receive it, will live and triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So here's the message. God makes a promise to you to join you or to, to show up in your mess, in your difficult circumstance. So here's what I want you to do in response to the promise that God will show up to save. If you're not at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, I beg you to give your life to God. Repent of your sin and commit to following Jesus as Lord. The reason that God showed up at the dark hour of the cross to raise Jesus from the dead is in part so that you could be rescued from the messiness of your own sin. Quit hiding from God. He's calling out to you to be saved knowing that life outside of his presence is not the way he created you to live. If you're a Christian, I want you to do something specific in response to this sermon. I want you to write down on a piece of paper the biggest problem you're facing. You might be hesitant if you think that your problem is smaller than somebody else's who you feel like is bigger, but the reality is that your problems are yours to deal with and they matter to God. What wakes you up at night? What issue runs through your mind quite often? And then I want you to take a colored pencil or a marker and I want you to write over it the promise of God. I am with you. I am still here. The problems will not always just go away, but it will become easier to see how this problem is a part of the process God wants to use to transform you into the person he wants you to become. I'm reminded as I close of the Psalm, Psalm 121, where the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The mountain-sized mess is never too big or too bad for God to show up in it. And God always speaks. He always provides salvation. Through his spoken word, he's already spoken into existence all of creation. And here he communicates his promise to you. I am with you. Just as God showed up for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in the mess that they created for themselves, God will show up in your life, in your situation. He's not left you alone to deal with the financial complexities that you're faced with. He's not left you alone to deal with the consequences of your own sin. No, God will show up and say these words, I am with you, I am still here. What we must first do is look to Jesus through whom there is salvation.